It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. Thus begins Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, a, a beloved story that centers on the cities of London and Boston during the French Revolution. Boston. Sorry. <laughs> we are going to talk about Boston, but jumping the gun. Um, so yeah, you can see these two cities, London and Paris, as uh, representing two different landscapes, two ways of being <coughs> human in the world, one being the way of wisdom, one being way of foolishness. And so London, for the most part, representing the way of wisdom, and Paris representing the way of folly during this time. So one way being orderly and thriving, and the other being chaotic and brutal. And you have different characters in the story that represent these, this wisdom and folly. So you can have characters like Sidney Carden and, and Charles Darnay who represent wisdom in their sacrificial acts of love for people. And then you have other characters like Madame Defarge who represents folly as she lets vengeance cloud her judgment. Well, all of this has a number of similarities with the book of... Proverbs. How, what? Oh, you guys, how do you know that? Uh, we're, of course, in the seri a series on the book of Proverbs. And if you've been listening, you know that there are these two symbolic cosmic characters in the book of Proverbs. One we're calling Lady Wisdom, who represents wisdom, and the other we are calling Femme Fatale, who represents folly. And in, in Proverbs, they're actually both calling out to us from the city. And so for those with ears to hear, their voice is going out throughout the city, uh, calling us, telling us about two ways of being human in the world. So we read this at the beginning of chapter 8, our Old Testament reading. Does not wisdom, that is, lady wisdom, cry out? And understanding, raise her voice on the heights, the highest point for us, the, the top of the, the Jan Hancock Tower. Beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, going into the city, at the entrance, for us, out over the, the Boston Common, she shouts with those who have ears to hear. And then at the end of the next chapter, chapter 9, we're told about this other voice, the voice of Femme Fatale, and it says, she too is at the high place with Lady Wisdom, but unlike Lady Wisdom, who's standing with dignity and ready to work, Femme Fatale is sitting, it says, because she's lazy. <laughs> she's idle. And her idleness is, is definitely the devil's playground. And because she's unwilling to work and do what's right in work, she steals. What she offers is stolen water, it says. We're also told in chapter 9 that these two women have their own distinct houses that they're inviting us into. Lady Wisdom's house is built on the solid foundation of the fear of Yahweh, the great I am. And Lady Wis or, uh, Madame Fatale's house, there's no mention of a foundation. She doesn't have one, which brings us back to the two houses we, we've mentioned with, when Jesus finishes up the Sermon on the Mount, the, the house that's built on the solid rock and the house that's built on sand. 
And inside each house is a feast, a feast of words. So Lady Wisdom, her feast are these words, these poems, these proverbs of wisdom that nourish us with good decisions, good wisdom for how to live out our relationships well, for how to make decisions that come to us every day. Or how to, do, to know what to do is what is right and just and fair. How to live the good life. That's the feast she's offering us. Whereas the words of Femme Fatale, those are words that poison us. They're words like, whatever makes you happy. Words that just feed sometimes our own lusts, serve our own interests. These are words that lead us into laziness, unfaithfulness, theft, and violence into darkness and death, as the imagery. So at the end of chapter 9, it says this, those who go into her house, Femme Fatale's house, they don't know, in fact, the dead are there. It's a stark language. That her guests are in the depths of Sheol, that is the realm of the dead. So I'm not one for horror movies or shows, um, but if you're familiar with the TV series Stranger Things, the house of Femme Fatale, that would be located in the Upside Down, if you know what I'm talking about. The Upside Down represents this distorted realm that inverts the natural order of things. So you can imagine a well-built, beautiful home in the normal realm, and in the Upside Down, that gets replicated and inverted into a house that's just dark and decaying and chaotic. That's what Femme Fatale does with Lady Wisdom's house. She replicates it and distorts it and inverts it into a place of, um, into a place of corrupted desires and madness and where wisdom is, is overshadowed with folly. Femme Fatale is, is calling us, tempting us into that house as we go about Boston, working and walking around. Her voice is doing that, and sometimes we're not even aware of how we're listening to her. But for those who have ears to hear, there's another voice calling out, <clears throat> calling us out of that house and back into the house where we belong, where we were made to be. And she calls out to us with a voice that's like music, like a better music, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that is in fact like the way work, music works in Stranger Things, that helps those who, who are lost in the upside down and helps them find their way back home where they belong. That's what Lady Wisdom's wisdom is for us. We're told at the beginning of chapter 9 that Wisdom has built her house and she has carved out her seven pillars. Seven's a big deal in the Bible. It's, it means perfection. But when it's being talked about in relation to buildings, it's telling you what kind of building we're talking about. We're talking about a temple. So if you read the Old Testament, sevens are all over the place in the Old Testament when it's describing the building of the temple. And sevens are all over the place in Genesis when the creation of heaven and earth is being described. Creation being God's original cosmic temple 
that the later temple just represents on a smaller scale. And so the last thirds of, a third of Proverbs 8 that we heard this morning, our Old Testament reading, this is all about Lady Wisdom's original house that she built and carved out. Creation, God's original cosmic temple. A house that was built by God, but through wisdom. And in the poem, though, it, it talks about wisdom being there with God before he makes anything. So verse 22, The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of long ago. Ages ago I was set up as the first at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. When he had not yet made earth and fields or the water's first bits of soil. Wisdom was there with God before anything was made, when it was just darkness and disorder. But then God makes everything with and through wisdom. Verse 27. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle, literally when he carved out the face of the deep. I'm drawing a lot here, by the way, from the Bible Project. If you've watched their videos on wisdom and Proverbs, a lot of this is coming from there. I, I recommend watching those videos um, and on this theme of wisdom. <clears throat> but in there, they point out how God's creative act here is described as carving out the face of the deep. If you remember at the beginning of chapter 9, it said what? Wisdom had built her house. She has carved out her seven pillars. So it's two ways of saying the same thing. God creates with wisdom when he carves out the pillars of creation, so to speak. And God creates the world with wisdom by carving order out of disorder and darkness. And in such a way so that all his creatures can live and thrive. All of them. So that's what he was doing when, verse 28, he made firm the skies above when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, holding the chaos back so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. This is building language. God's making a building, this cosmic temple. Then I, wisdom, was beside him like a master worker. And I was daily his delight, playing before him always, playing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race. It's a beautiful poem. God's being described here like an artist who's again carving out, creating with wisdom a place where all kinds of life can live and thrive. And Proverbs 8, he's telling us here, this is something for us to discern and delight in, find joy in. See God as the ultimate source of. That's what the fear of the Lord is all about, seeing that all wisdom is God's wisdom, the wisdom that's displayed, that's interwoven and, and, and laced throughout all of creation. 
part of our job as humans is to discern that wisdom and just delight in that wisdom with God. <clears throat> and it's also something for us to learn from, to be mentored by, so that we too can, with God and in His likeness, carve out ways of goodness and wisdom and justice in the world. So just like God carves out order and disorder out of the darkness and the chaos, we too are meant, when we encounter the chaos and the darkness of our lives and in our vocations, we're called to, to imitate God here and figure out how do we learn from wisdom? How do we get mentored by wisdom in such a way that we learn how to do that carving as well? So notice what it says here in verse 17. Through me, through Lady Wisdom, kings reign, and rulers issue decrees that are just. Through me, princes rules and nobles and all who rule with justice. It's through Lady Wisdom that we learn how to lead people well and how to do and how to lead them into what is good and right and just and fair. Whether that's a bunch of people, or whether that's a few people, whether that's one other person. In order to do that well, we need to be learning from Lady Wisdom. Whether we know about Lady Wisdom or not, whether we know that God is the source of that wisdom or not, we have to abide by that wisdom that is set up in a, and within God's created world. This wisdom of God, it's, it's interwoven, it's, it's laced throughout creation so that it's accessible to all. You don't have to be a Christian to see this, to have access to this wisdom in the world. It's there for all to see and learn from. That's what we do when we, we learn the wisdom of our vocations. What are we doing? We're learning the accumulated wisdom that's been passed on, that's there for us. It's from people who have been paying attention to God's wisdom in the world and passing it on to others, to us. We can learn from that. Back to Proverbs here. It says, <clears throat> when rulers issue decrees, this phrase, issue decrees, it comes from the <clears throat> Hebrew word that literally means to carve out. It comes from the, this time when Rulers, what they would do when they would make laws, they would carve them out onto tablets for their people to know, to be, to be there, to be accessible. So a good leader is somebody who imitates God in his carving out. When they uh, encounter chaos and injustice, they learn from Lady Wisdom how to, like God, carve out just laws so that life is there for everyone to enjoy, not just a particular group of people or a class or a race, but for all. That's what a good leader does. <clears throat> in order to do that, they need to discern again and draw on God's wisdom in creation. They need to be mentored by Lady Wisdom. And you can be mentored by Lady Wisdom from two sources. So I've been highlighting the, the creational one that's there for all, but also from the scriptures. So there's two books. There's the book of nature and there's the book of scripture. 
And the, the book of Scripture helps us to become aware of this wisdom, to understand what it is. It helps us see that there's not just wisdom at work, but we live in an age both of wisdom and of folly. And both these things are going on, and Scripture helps us discern those two different voices in our lives and in our work. And so Scripture clues us into that. And so if we're learning about leadership, there's an accumulative uh, body of wisdom there for us to draw on about what it means to be a good leader. We know now, after many years of paying attention to this wisdom, that, well, to be a good leader means you need to have good, clear vision, effective communication. You need to empower people. You need to lead with integrity, by example. But there's a lot of times when the wisdom that we've learned so far isn't, hasn't gone far enough. And Jesus takes us further. So Jesus says, you know, the rulers of your day, what? They rule over people. They see leadership as something about them serving, the people serving them. But Jesus takes it further. He says, no, actually, true leadership is servant leadership. It's laying your life down for others like he did for those he served. And so now we can talk about things like servant leadership. That's not something you would have necessarily heard 2,000 years ago. (laughs) We can talk about that now as part of our imagination because Jesus talked about it and lived it, and the people who followed him have practiced that to some degree through the centuries. So now that's part of our imagination about what it means to be a leader. So our, our job, our task before us as image bearers is to enter our vocations to learn the wisdom that's there, that's been learned, that's been paid attention to, whether we're a musician and we're trying to figure out what, is, what makes good music, what doesn't, what's wisdom and what's folly, in a sense, in, in music. We've got to do that in whatever field we're in, whether it's uh, medicine or finance or architecture. We're learning the wisdom of the day or the wisdom that's been discerned up to that point. But then we're also from the scriptures looking at maybe where we can carve out the wisdom a little further. Maybe where there is folly at work in our discipline, our vocation, and how we need to counter that and do something different. So I remember I used to work uh, in a bank, started in high school, went through uh, my undergrad and into my master's. And yeah, so during that time, I was learning the way, the wisdom of banking. Um, some of us may wonder if there is, can there be a wisdom of banking? And yes, there is, uh, I think, in, in how you work with money and how you save and, and do well with credit. So I, I learned about that for many years, but I also noticed there was some folly at work in the banking system, at least in my bank. So for example, when I was serving a customer, uh, there was what was called valuable customers. And a valuable customer was somebody who had a lot of money, as opposed to someone who didn't. And so when that happened, when you were serving something, a little diamond would appear in the top left corner of your screen. So you would know they're valuable and you need to treat them as the valuable customers they are. Well, I learned enough from wisdom (laughs) to know that's folly. I know from wisdom that all people are made in God's image. All people have value, are valuable customers. And so my practice of carving out 
wisdom in, in my banking vocation during that season was to imagine a diamond coming up for every customer I served. We need to be mentored by wisdom. Lady Wisdom is a metaphor, of course, representing God's wisdom. And in the New Testament, we find out she is a type of the one to come. The one who is God's wisdom in a resurrected body, our divine leader at God's right hand. Both are described as existing with God before anything was made and the ones through whom God made all things. Both lead us lead those who listen to what is life and immortality. Both offer blessings through the symbols of food and drink, but one is the type and one is the reality. One's the metaphor and one is that resurrected one in our flesh. As we come into the kingdom, as we come to Mount Zion, as Hebrew talks about it, and we attempt to ascend Mount Zion, to ascend in our maturity as Christians, to ascend in our vocational purpose, to ascend in our created and redeemed purpose from God, we need to be careful never to lose sight of wisdom. Because once we do, we're going to lose our way. We're going to get distracted. We're going to waste a whole bunch of time. But if we keep with wisdom, he's going to show us the quickest and the wisest way to the top. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. But may we be known as a people of wisdom who discern and delight in and carve out the wisdom of Jesus in this world. May it be so.